My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Elle Jones. Jones is a poet. She is, in fact, the current poet laureate of the Halifax Regional Municipality. However, unlike some who claim the label poet, for her, word, world, and action are bound up together in ways that she refuses to split apart. For her, writing poetry meant speaking about life. Speaking about life meant speaking about struggles to survive and thrive and to change the world. And speaking about those struggles meant, quote, for my own integrity, I felt that I really had to be active, end quote. She is a fixture at activist and community events of many different sorts in Halifax as both a performer and an organizer. As a spoken word activist, she speaks up and speaks out, she challenges listeners, entertains them, inspires them, she works with youth, with prisoners. The majority of her poetry these days is in fact commissions from people who want her to perform a poem for their action, their event, or their issue. She speaks to me about her poetry, about her political work, and about the ways it doesn't really make any sense to talk about them as two different things. I spoke with Jones by phone from Halifax. Something 
that anyone could say. I have to talk about something that is urgent to say and something that comes out of my own experiences and my own history and something that I feel that's responsible to the community I speak to and for. I have privileges that other people in my community don't have. I've been advantaged by having an education which allows me to speak in a certain way. I've obviously been advantaged by having the ability to write and speak poetry. I'm not saying anything that, you know, the woman down the street isn't saying or that the 15-year-old isn't saying, but they aren't empowered by society with the same status that I am as an artist. So I have the power to get up and say it and have people pay attention. You know, I can do this interview. The little kid down in the square can't do an interview. So if I'm not using that time productively to bring attention to the issues in my community and speak for what we need, to me, I feel that that would be an immoral act on my part, unethical, or, you know, just not a good use of time. So that's why I guess my poetry is political. Now, what people define as political is obviously contentious, but certainly I tend to speak about race issues of sexism, and violence, whatever it is, but usually what we would call a social issue. So it then gave me more opportunity to be active in political circles, and then because I was speaking out about things for my own integrity, I really felt that I had to be active so that, you know, if you're the person standing up there talking to people about what's wrong, I think you have to be on the front line of at least taking responsibility in your own life to work collectively or have some kind of responsibility. So I think definitely both in terms of the personal power that you get from being someone who's outspoken, but also the kind of moral dimension to speaking that I think is necessary if you're going to be in any way self-reflexive as a political artist. So I think that poetry definitely, for me, resulted in more political action. That isn't always the case. It can be very easy to say things and not follow them up with action. So tell me more about some of the themes and issues that you keep coming back to in your poetry. I started by writing about race. My first poem was called White Neighbors, and it was about the double standards. So I grew up, I'm mixed race, my father's white, my mother's black. And I grew up in white communities and went to white schools and stuff. So I was just sort of exploring that and writing about kind of double standards that you experience. And I didn't know that was controversial when I wrote about it, but then people got a little upset that I was identifying this. From there, I guess I sort of felt that there was something to talk about, whether it's you know, violence against black women or whether it's you know, racism experienced in the workplace or if it's exploring history. So, you know, writing about Harriet Tubman and what she means to me or, you know, writing about black music and its evolution. So whatever it is, and it can be a whole range of things writing about poverty, eviction, housing, whatever issues that I am thinking about and that are part of my life, I think is important to put into poetry and express in ways that people can then engage with. If you give it to a lecture, people are like, oh, boring. But if you can put it into three minutes and make it somewhat entertaining or interesting or clever, then I think people are much more willing to engage. To me, I think the things that I feel are pressing issues of injustice or pressing issues that we need to think about are the things that I would write about. Actually, I mean, Nova Scotia is an interesting maybe treat poetry differently than a lot of places. It's just a very small community, and even as Halifax stands, it's still a small town feel, so you kind of know everybody in ways that people in Toronto and Montreal don't really know everyone, I think. So there's more of a sense of you actually are speaking into a community, and then, of course, within that, the black community, the African Nova Scotian community, which is 20,000 people in a very close-knit community. So poetry here, I think, has a role where within our community it's very respected. People want poetry at events to clarify things. So, you know, a lot of the poetry I write is actually commissioned, where people will say, you know, we're holding a meeting, and can you open with a poetry about, you know, the struggles of black kids in schools? Or... You know, we'd really like a poem about midwives and how we need them. So I get all kinds of commissions from people with political issues that wanted expressed in poetry. And I think that's very unique and it's a real blessing in this province that there's this respect for the ability to produce poetry that engages with people's lives. And I don't know that people in many other places have that position. So what I'm saying is that I don't always necessarily write through inspiration where you're like, 
like, what do I want to write about? A lot of the writing I do and more and more is people suggesting a topic that they want you present to something, and then you have to think about what that issue means to you, how you want to talk about it, like, what is my take on this issue? So that's probably most of the writing I do right now. I feel like you're actually engaging with the ancient role of the poet, whether that's the Griot in African culture. You know, for a long time when poetry was relevant to people, this is what poets did. And the original definition of the poet warrior was, you know, you went around writing poems about the queen, and, you know, you have all those awful poems that Wordsworth and stuff wrote, you know, the christening of the ship, but that is what people did. You were actually a kind of state poet. And obviously the roles changed a lot in what it means and what we do with it, but actually that is kind of the original goal. And through most of history where poetry was relevant in a very immediate way to people, this is what people did. Of course, we've been moving away from that because poetry has become less and less relevant to people, although we experience poetry through rap and through, you know, other venues all the time. So I think it's actually good. But the restriction is that you don't necessarily want to do that poem again. If you write a poem for a rally or for an event or a conference, it's focused on that. And it has its moment. You know, you perform it and people are very happy to have something that's addressing what they're there for, but it won't work anywhere else. So it's the only problem is I have, you know, hundreds of poems that I basically can maybe want. But it's kind of like a puzzle, I think. Like, it's very it's stressful. You're always like, oh my gosh, I have this I haven't written this poem. But then when you're doing it, it's almost like putting a puzzle together. Like, how am I going to approach this in a way that's true to me and my voice and that's going to hit the issues that I think are important and are going to clarify things for people? And then, you know, it's almost like pulling out a Rubik's Cube or something. So I don't find it restrictive, although I do sometimes wish I did more of my kind of own free writing, but I don't know what that would look like, so I'm not going to complain. And what are some of the ways that your commitment to speaking, to speaking up, to speaking out, has led to you doing other kinds of things connected to the issues? I mean, number one is if you become visible, especially in a smaller community, people just sort of ask you for things, and you have the capacity to organize. Like, for example, I'm helping to organize a rally at St. Mary's University, so I don't know if people know that the chanting that happened at Frost Week, the great chants, you know, about how people like having sex with underage and, you know, and it's some non-consent and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm helping to organize a rally, and of course, those are young, you know, undergraduate students, so I can offer them a kind of experience of organizing. Just a quick note to listeners, the rally that Jones is referring to here is one that has, in fact, taken place uh, since the interview was recorded. you know something about this issue, can you help? So you are sort of in a role where you're capable of using your energy towards action. I would feel hypocritical if I got up and said, you know, people are neglecting the education of black children, and then I'm not doing anything to alleviate that. So I feel like it's my responsibility first. If somebody says, well, what are you doing? I can say, well, you know, I work with the youth in the community. We work with youth in the community, send a line studio in my own voice, so we do radio shows with the youth. We have a music studio with them, so we give them a space to record and express themselves. We're doing a show at what we call a hip-hop, so we're working towards that right now, like a theater where it's kind of like using rap music to tell a narrative and different stories. Just giving them an opportunity to have a space to express themselves and then working with them on developing it towards their own goals, business goals or performance goals. So we just try to give them... I don't like the term mentorship because it's like this power relationship where, you know, the adult is in charge, but building friendships with youth in our communities that can help them uncover their potential, I guess I would say. I have to do things to my capacity. Obviously, I'm a human being. I'm not capable of doing everything, but I don't like the idea of poets that stand up and talk about something and then go home and, you know, don't try to live up to that. If I'm going to lecture people or whatever people feel you do, and I don't think it's lecturing because I have the same flaws and failings, but if I'm going to speak about injustice or what I see that we need to work on, I feel like I have to put myself first for working on that. So whatever that is, working with youth, you know, dealing with the education system, 
you know, working with people in prison. So all that kind of stuff, community organizing, organizing events, organizing rallies, meetings, or whatever it is that you're involved in, I think it's just important for people to feel active and significant and like we can actually get in there and take some kind of action to move ourselves forward. So I try to do that. My first political issue before I really knew what life was like as a racialized person, I was like grade eight, you know, so I knew I was not white, but I didn't necessarily understand what that meant yet. So I hadn't really picked up racial politics at that point. And we were in Trinidad visiting my grandmother, and the only book I could find was Frank Harris's biography of Oscar Wilde. When I got home, I read that was writing jail. And then that year we had to do a social studies essay, and I did women in prison. <laughs> So it was kind of strange because you know, everybody else is doing like body image in magazines. And I was down at the Elizabeth Clyde Society researching the conditions of women in prison. But that was actually the first political issue that I understood and that I researched and got into. So I think that was the first moment of my political formation. I was kind of stuck with me. So then as a poet, the good thing about being a spoken word artist is you can kind of address a lot of issues. You know, as a scholar, you're in one lane. Like you can only talk about this one thing that you work on. But as a poet, you know, whatever issue interests you, you can talk about. I mean, I'm able to go into prisons and work with people, so I've done workshops with prisoners or just talking about prisons. The poem I've done that's sort of most of a room stopper where people are just like, will not go there with me, is I have this poem about prison rape, and it's just like, people do not want to hear it. Like, everything I've ever talked about, talking about male-on-male prison rape, which, of course, happens, especially in maximum security and stuff, and no one wants to hear that. Like, they just cannot go there with me. But, you know, whatever it is, writing about conditions. Um, there's a young man in prison I'm working with, so he writes me a lot of letters, and I visit him, and then he writes poetry and stuff. So that kind of one-on-one where you can give people the opportunity to access the kind of resources they want. So, I mean, that's important to me. I think that prison rights are the biggest human rights violation we have going on right now that's just completely out of sight, out of mind. Um, we're building more prisons, policies towards prisoners. We have this idea of harsher crime. We know from every statistic that prison does nothing to reduce crime. Hiding sentences do absolutely nothing. We're just on this path with increasing the prison system. And uh, to me, I just, the harm that does my community, in my teaching, I have a teacher program, we have a lot of students that are coming out of prison, and you see the trauma, the depression, the panic attacks, the anxiety. And, of course, a lot of these things are crimes of poverty. So to me, that's important. It's a human rights crisis in my community and certainly beyond, definitely in Canada. You know, and they're the people that have least voiced and most forgotten and sort of assumed to be subhuman and so the act of writing in there and I think getting people's voices and working with people inside is incredibly important and we all should be doing more of it. You know, it's hard to sort of sit here and say, well, this is a political activism. I do one because it seems so unhumble and I think that humility should be an important part of being truly activist. So, I mean, if you live in a community and work in a community and devote energy in a community, like where does political activism begin and life end? Obviously, people call upon you in the same way that I would call upon people for support. So if I need support from somebody, I'm going to call a person that I know that's capable of that. And if people need tutoring or they need this, they know to call me. So is that political or is that just a community working together? Is living in a community political or is it life? You know, is teaching political or, you know, so I don't know what these boundaries are. I think in general, and I'm not a perfect person, there's lots of times where I'm not doing things I could do. I'm not trying to claim I'm this person that's, you know, constantly out there. But to the best of my abilities, I try to be active, I think. Whether that sometimes it's just posting things on Facebook, like, you know, that can work as a form of awareness activism. I think it needs to be followed by further steps. But I think having a voice, especially as a woman of color, where especially when you're working in feminist issues, it's still dominated by white women. So being present to stuff like doing a rally at you where there may not be other women of color involved, that can be really important to make sure that the perspective of our community is involved. I mean, being visible in various ways, so whatever that is 
I think what's important is to remain connected, and that can be a challenge, especially if you work as you know in academia, which does not promote community engagement in any way. I think you have to be an active and engaged part of your own community, and that can actually be a challenge. That might be the most political challenge of all, especially for intellectual, educated, whatever you want to call it, black people, where every pressure is to remove ourselves from our communities and focus on getting tenure or you know, if you stop doing that, you can, you know, get these rewards. So I think having the kind of integrity and sense of collective responsibility and to try and keep that foremost and thinking about what am I doing that's good for my community. So if I'm asked to perform, who can I bring from my community? Can I bring a youth? Can I bring another person? I think that's important, and I try to do that with Poet Laureate. I mean, that's one thing I'm trying to do is at least, you know, know for myself that if I'm not giving access to other people, I'm probably failing the position. You know, I would hope that every time I'm asked to do something, you know, if I can bring two people to also perform and to get something out of that. I mean, that's important to me. But I think what it really is is collective work and responsibility. That's what politics in the end has to mean, that, you know, you can do things for yourself, but you have to take some kind of long view on what the view of the collective is and how you're going to engage with the whole community. So I try to do that. I'm not saying I'm successful all the time, but that would be my ideal. Would you be willing to perform a short poem or two? Yeah, okay. This one has become more special because it was actually a poem that I wrote in Rocky Jones. Does anyone know who I'm talking about when I talk about Rocky Jones? I do. I'm not sure that listeners probably don't. Rocky was a giant of the community here. He just passed a month ago. It's such a huge loss. He was um, just, I mean, it's hard to describe him. I mean, he was a major activist. He was involved. He brought the Panthers up to Nova Scotia. He was involved in all kinds of national and international issues as well, advocating for the community tried important law cases like RDS versus the state, which was a racial profiling case. You know, he would take on cases like 13-year-old girl who was strip-searched at school. He ended up as a lawyer defending the community, but he was also just such a strong advocate for black power, black empowerment, and particularly for African Nova Scotian communities. So I think he understood very well this particular community was under assault in particular ways, and he was doing his best to build leadership and to advocate for the community and to really try and bring the community together. And he was somebody, he just laid his hands on everyone. He was a completely loving, compassionate man that, you know, he wasn't a saint, obviously, but really, really a man of integrity. I mean, he died broke, and he could have, you know, gone anywhere, done anything, but really gave all of his passion into the community. So we were doing a workshop at Mulgrave Park with the youth there, so on their history. So Rocky came and spoke about the Loyalists and the Maroons and the Refugees, which are the sort of three major waves of black people that came to Nova Scotia. And then I wrote a poem kind of out of that, and then the youth made a video. So it was this kind of collaborative thing between the generations. So this poem is really a lot of Rocky's passion and teaching on the history of Nova Scotia went into this poem. So that's a long intro, but it's designed for youth. So if there's any youth listening and you're African Nova Scotian, this poem is for you. Be loyal. Be strong. Be free. The loyalists, the maroons, and the refugees. You come from all three teaching you lessons about how to get where you need to be. Stick together like glue. Take care of your crew. Stand your ground and don't get pushed down. And when it's time to get free by any means necessary, the loyalists, the maroons, and the refugees. Sounds like street knowledge, but it's revolutionary, so know your history. Gives you the keys to succeed in whatever you do. Remember their names and it's time to get through. Our communities were founded on their values, so let me repeat. Be loyal, be strong, get free. We don't need to rely on no government cheese. All we need is to have each other's backs and persistence. This is how your ancestors handled the system. Stay true to each other, always assisted. When they were threatened, they always resisted, rose to great heights. 
they're on a mission, so don't ever get the message twisted. The way they got their names listed makes it sound like you come from loyalists who served, maroons who got lost, and refugees who were running. They make them sound boring like you come from nothing. The true story is they were fighters with courage and cunning, pound for pound some of the best black people in existence. The free mind, body, and spirit should be all of our missions. To get themselves free, they sometimes had to play tricks, pull two superpowers yourself and quick wits. They thought they could use them and act like they didn't exist. Bargained their way onto ships or fought their way out with fists. Some were unlisted and some were enlisted. All soldiers in a struggle who never sold out, playing master against master and power against power. They got what they wanted through pure brain power, guided by a higher power, black power, before it ever had a name. And I swear to you that you can do the same because their blood pumps through your veins. And it is saying to you, don't let their struggle be in vain. Think of what they went through when your life goes astray. They promised them land and then took it away, left them to beg on the streets or shipped them away. Everything they had tried to strip it away, hoped after winter they'd just go away, but they survived. Came through the fire where only the strongest could thrive, on the rockiest land where they left them to die. They built churches to pray in, took the land that they had and built homes they could stay in, planted themselves with the kids they were raising, and I know they'd be proud to see you still here today. And every day that you doubt if you ever could make it, think of the pain that they suffered, and still they kept waiting with faith, hope, and patience. Their strength was amazing, and that's where you came from. So don't ever be ashamed. You carry their names, you should praise every day, so follow the path they were blazing. With blood like that circulating, how can you not achieve? No one ever promised that life would be easy, so don't let yours go to waste through a lack of belief. Your ancestry is the root, and you are the leaf. This is not street knowledge, it's revolutionary, so let me repeat. Be loyal. Be strong. Get free. Thank you very much. You mentioned earlier some of the risks, the dangers, the consequences of speaking. What do you think that we can do as people and as communities to make it safer to speak? If you're speaking truth, you're always going to encounter resistance or, you know, unpleasant truth. So obviously part of that is the reason why political actions attached to poetry is because social justice makes us uncomfortable. Because it's not the easy stuff, it's the hard stuff. But how do we rethink prisons, right? And that's a very difficult topic to ask people because they're like, but some people have you know, murderers, like, what do you do with them, you know? And it's very hard to ask people to think in a way that says just because we're doing something now doesn't mean it's the only way to do things. And so, of course, there's defensiveness and anger. Of course, if you're speaking about injustice, racism, sexism, you know, if you're a woman getting up, there's all kinds of feelings people have about that that are grounded in millennia of sexism. So, I mean, alleviating those things in society and working towards that also helps to protect the people that are speaking out. But, I mean, to a certain extent, I think it's a task you just take on. I think as you get older, you just, I know what the consequences are. I know what my own limits are, like what I feel I can live with myself for. And I don't know if there's much people can do because I think that to a certain extent, the more righteous the things you're saying are, the more pushback there's going to be. But that's exactly when you're speaking the right things. And that doesn't mean to say that, you know, I go around saying things all the time. People are like, you know, jumping out of bushes at me. I mean, a lot of times I'm just doing whatever. But the times that, you know, I've said things, the poems that have got people upset, things like talking about violence against black women. Well, if it's going to make people that upset, obviously we haven't even begun to address it. So I'm going to talk about it some more, right? To me, I mean, I'm, I'm not too stressed about it, to be honest. It used to upset me more when I was a bit younger, maybe. But now I feel like if people weren't upset with some of the stuff I said, I'd be rethinking whether I was <laughs> saying the right things. 
I hope that when they're saying things out of the sense of how can we all, and I include myself in that, just because I'm the one speaking doesn't mean that I don't struggle with my own, you know, humanity, my own judgment, my own treatment of other people, my own laziness, my own sense of inertia, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I like money, I like doing all sorts of things, so I'm also guilty of the things I talk about, but if we don't talk about it, we can't identify it and work together to heal it or take some action on it or identify it, so to me that's important. I've heard from friends who have roots in other parts of the world that the role that poetry plays in the culture in some other parts of the world is, is really central and it's really intertwined with social movements, political movements in very visible ways. And it doesn't seem to be quite the same here in North America. It doesn't seem to have the same prominent place. Why do you think that is? And do you think that that's a problem? I mean, again, I, as I sort of said, like, I think in Nova Scotia, within my community, it definitely is intertwined in those ways, because I get asked to all kinds of rallies, meetings, stuff. People really do build off the poetry, and not just me. We are a community that really does still invest in that oral culture and in that voice. But number one, Canadians, I mean, we're a very complacent society, especially right now, with this hard government. You know, we're literally seeing, and I'm not a particular believer in the state, but you know, for people that believe in that kind of thing, things that are supposed to make us Canadian, our belief in bilingualism, multiculturalism, and whatever it is, environmentalism, you know, that are being stripped away before our eyes, and we're not in the streets. And you see people, you know, Turkey is up in flames, you know, the Middle East is up in flames, you know, other people are protesting, even in America, you have these big protests about Trayvon and stuff, and, you know, what are we coming out for? So I think there's a particular complacency that doesn't necessarily fit. Artists can't be complacent in your personal life or in your politics, whatever those politics are. I think part of the quality of an artist is you can't sit there and say, well, I wrote this poem five years ago and it was awesome, so I don't have to try any harder, right? Like, I think there's a sense of moving forward and pushing yourself as an artist, and that's not a super Canadian quality. I think I think people find it impolite to challenge things. So, you know, the times I, like, I went, I'm sort of banned from restorative justice conferences because I did poems about police brutality and prison conditions, and I'm like, isn't that what we're here to talk about? But, you know, it was impolite in a kind of Canadian context. Like, this idea of, well, you know, if we're all in the room together, it would be mean of you to talk about racism. Well, you know, that's that's rude to go up to somebody who's in charge of the housing board and talk to them about how housing is, you know, inadequate for single mothers. Like, I think we find that confrontational and rude kind of in ways that maybe other cultures don't. And whatever Canadian means, I mean, like, Anglo-Canadian, you know, that sort of traditional Anglo-Canadian upper Canada culture isn't about that. And I think that is, makes it difficult for political engagement. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have a very collective culture. You know, in other countries, and I, I don't like this sort of essentialist comparison of countries that's very weird to engage in, but I mean, maybe it's winter, I don't know what it is, but we don't have a lot of sort of collective, like, we don't hang out together as a culture, you know, like, we hang out with our friends, but we don't tend to have a lot of mass community events where people are just together, and I think, the, you know, part of when you have public spaces and public collective action and stuff, and I think poetry and voices and art is important in that space because it directs people, but we don't do that a lot, so I think there's some of the cultural elements of Canada, I think, that make it um, I know we have very good artistic conditions in a lot of ways, but maybe that also makes us complacent. I don't know. You have been listening to my interview with L. Jones, a spoken word activist and the current poet laureate of the Halifax Regional Municipality. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Prince, 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 Phil.